0: Man, what a wonderful morning of worship. And I'm just a little bit partial to that last song. If you all did not know who that was, that is my eldest daughter. Oh my goodness. And um, so proud of her. It also takes me back to just falling in love with her mother um, I thought I loved sopranos until I heard my sweet alto wife sing. And um, so proud of you, Ashlyn, so proud of your love for Jesus and your willingness to be used. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word today and turn to Galatians chapter 2 verses. 11 through 14, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. We're going to be today here in these verses, and we are going to revisit these verses next week. I'm actually going to deal with a particular sin next week, which is not always a sin, but it can be, um, and that is people-pleasing. And if, it, if there is a sin out there that I struggle with, that is one of them. So we get to talk about my sin next week. Now, not all people-pleasing is sinful. In fact, some of you need to be a little more people-pleasing. it just make you nicer. But <clears throat> there is certainly a place where it becomes sinful, and that is our story. But I'm going to look at that next week. So we're going to deal with Peter's specific sin next week in this story, but this week I just want to talk about Peter's life. In Galatians chapter 2, we are still in Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. Remember, the letter opened when Paul was concerned that this church that he and his ministry had started essentially just a few years earlier had abandoned the gospel Which reminds us, it's not how far the time is which has passed from the genuine roots of a church being started and the current problem. It is really not the distance between the time on the calendar, but rather the distance between the true gospel and where we are now. This church had only been started by Paul just a few years earlier and had already drifted into catastrophic error. So much so that they had abandoned the gospel. And thus we have the letter to the Galatian churches. Last week we talked about Judaizers. I spoke with two different Judies last week that said they felt like the sermon was for them. (laughs) But not Judaizers, but uh, Judaizers in the sense of taking the gospel back to the old covenant rather than embracing the new covenant at the fullness and the fulfillment and the expansion of the old of what was always intended to be, which is God's intention to bring a people from every nation's driving tongue. Paul's ministry and his gospel ministry to the Gentiles is what's at stake here in Galatia. These churches are now dealing with issues Can you be a Christian and not practice Jewish faith? And what Paul is arguing is yes. In fact, that is what he says, the gospel that he received straight from Jesus. Last week, we looked at that he did go to Jerusalem and meet with the other apostles, and they affirmed his stance. But he also made clear he didn't get his gospel from the other apostles. This gospel came straight from Jesus. Jesus. And then he tells a story. He tells a story here about an incident that happened in Antioch. What is Antioch? Well, Antioch, believe it or not, was the third largest city at the time in the Roman Empire. It was likely the home to half a million people during its time. Now, I want you to think about that. Half a million people living in one place without indoor plumbing, Half a million people living in this city here nestled in the corner of where the Middle East meets Asia Minor and all of the technological advancements of its day like aqueducts and bathhouses and all of those things would have been found there. It was a metropolis in its own right and it's no shock and surprise that the gospel went there very early because it had become what many called it in its time, the Rome of the East. It was a major center for power and population. And this is where this takes place. So you'll know that the missionary journeys that Paul went on, you need to know, they went out from Antioch, and the church at Antioch was a place that became kind of a home base for ministry as life went forward. And on one occasion, Peter, who primarily did his ministry in Jerusalem, ventures to Antioch and has a situation with Paul. And Paul, very graciously or ungraciously, I can't really decide. In fact, I'm still trying to decide if Paul is being arrogant by telling this story. Now, it's holy written, holy scripture, regardless. But it does seem kind of hard for me to imagine saying something like this without puffing your chest out just a little bit. But nonetheless, it happened, and Peter was in serious error. So let's read the story. Peter, note here, is called Cephas. It's just another word for Peter. Um, But anyway, it says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned let me pause here before we go any further because we need to know what this word means what does this word condemned mean it doesn't mean condemned like in the sense to hell it just means it's used four different times i believe in the new testament if i remember correctly from earlier this week it means standing in the wrong he was wrong because he stood condemned For before certain men came from James, that would be brother of Jesus, pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. I want to say a quick comment here. It reminds me in a time where, by the way, I'm a Protestant, and there are no less than 46,000 versions of Protestantism in the world today, that there were factions even in the early church, even if not 46,000. But nonetheless, there were factions in the church. There were the circumcision party and then the ministry to the Gentile party led by Paul. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy, even the son of encouragement. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live Like the Jews. Let me give you the modern translation of what he said in this ancient tongue. Peter, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. And you're compromising the gospel. Now, let's talk about how serious of a charge that is. Well, hypocrisy is what the Pharisees had been charged. hypocrisy is one of those things that jesus warns against that it's an external religiosity but an internal thing that is different and what paul is accusing peter of is internally knowing the gospel and externally compromising it which is the exact opposite of the hypocrisy of the pharisees during jesus's ministry It's internally denying the gospel and externally making it look like they were religious. But Peter here, knowing the truth in cowardice and hypocrisy, gives into the pressure of the circumcision party, compromises the gospel, so much so that sparks fly and you have capital A Apostle Paul confront capital A Apostle Peter. That sounds interesting. And indeed it was. So much though so that we're reading about it all thousands of years later. So here's our main statement for today. First of all, the message is titled, O oh, Peter. And our statement is, is Peter's fourth denial is written for us. You say, Brother Matt, his fourth denial? This is a little strong. He didn't deny Jesus, no denied to acknowledge the true gospel because he didn't want to deal with the drama. And in doing so, caused this erroneous gospel to further take root. It is a serious charge. More on that next week. But I wanna talk about Peter this week. First of all, I have one of these at my house. I have a son named Peter. And uh, he is absolutely full of life. Uh, my first son is named Judah. Uh, when we saw Judah in the womb, when he was just a few weeks in utero, uh, he pumped his fist in the air as if to wave at us. And I never will forget that moment. And God gave us Psalm 9 1, which says that we will praise the Lord. And we thought of Leah in the Old Testament when she named her son, finding out she was expecting, or she, not expecting, but finding out she had a son, named him Judah because at that time she praised the Lord. Judah, for us, was the sweetest child. He was a little gentleman. He took care of his sisters. He was courageous in so many ways. I mean, don't get me wrong. He could, you know, at times do things wrong, but he was just such a great little kid. And his brother is great, but oh my goodness. Sweet is not the word I would use to describe him. He can be sweet, but Judah, I would have just described him as sweet. Peter, he is a little man. He is a little man. As if this, this morning when I was brushing my teeth, he came and took a cheap shot at me and punched me right in the thigh. And he said, come on, And then what he said next, he said, I'll be the giant, you be Hulk Hogan. (laughs) I've got one of those at my house. So he is absolutely full of life. He is a little man, a little package of testosterone that I have and that I am blessed by. It makes me proud in some ways, in all ways actually. One other thing about him, uh, we were driving to church. I was dropping him off because he comes to our day school. And we were pulling down Jefferson Street, and he said, Hey, Dad, um, can I have your knife collection? (laughs) And I said, "Uh, Son, what are you talking about? he said, You know, your pocket knives. And I said, What about it? He said, Just, you know, can I have them? I said, when? He said, like, when you're done with them. I said, like, when I die? He said, yes. (laughs) I said, sure, son, you can have my pocket knives. He said, okay. Um, uh, What about your guns the hunting rifles i said son sure they're yours too i mean son listen look you're my only son i said you can have my knives my hunting rifles you can have my belts you can have my shoes my boots you can have my suits if you want them you can have my neckties if people still wear them at that time you can have everything he said good about the boat (laughs) I kid you not this is unembellished and I said yes son you can have that too and his little response was and the fishing poles (laughs) yes son it's all yours it's all yours of which when I told his mother this story she just said oh Peter The thing I love about the Peter of the Bible, and by the way, it's for whom my son was named. We had the privilege of going to the Holy Land with Pastor David Langerfeld in 2019, one of the most magnificent experiences of my life. And it was on the Sea of Galilee that we sensed the Holy Spirit press upon our hearts that if we ever had a son, we'd name him Peter. But we think this all the time, oh, Peter, let me tell you why I love Peter of the Bible. You know Want to know why I love Peter of the Bible? It's because he doesn't remind me of my son, Peter. He reminds me of me. And I'm willing to venture out and say that you love Peter too. I just want to talk to you about Peter this morning, and we'll talk about Peter's sin next week. But who is Peter in the Bible? Well, first of all, let me tell you the things that I love about Peter. First of all, we know Peter was a fisherman, and Jesus called him and one of the first things that I love about Peter is Peter knows Peter. Peter knows Peter. In fact, when you read the opening story of Peter in Luke chapter 5 and verses 1 through 8, it says, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that is Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish that their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both the boats, and they began to sink. And I love this about Peter. But when Simon Peter... Saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. <clears throat> I love Peter, because Peter knows Peter. Something tells me the old fisherman was confident, but the old fisherman knew that when he saw God's blessing, he didn't deserve it. I love that about Peter. Also, another thing is I love about Peter is Peter is called by Jesus. Peter is called by Jesus. Jesus didn't call a single religious professional. I mean, that's convenient for my line of work. Peter is called by Jesus as a fisherman. In Luke chapter 5, in verse number 10, it says, And So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Gosh, I love Peter. Because not only did Peter know himself, Peter was the kind of guy that Jesus said, I can work with this. And I'm going to use you to catch men. Another reason I love Peter, Man, Peter drops everything to follow Jesus. Pressing forward in the next verse from the one we just read in Luke chapter five and verse 11, it says, and they brought their boats to land and they left everything and followed him. There was a song when I was a kid. There used to be this thing around called contemporary Christian music. But anyway, there was this song came out by Stephen Curtis Chapman called For the Sake of the Call will abandon it all for the sake of the call. And I remember as a 14-year-old boy, even though that song was already old by then, but as a 14-year-old boy hearing that song and believing that God wanted to use even me. And that song talks about these empty nets sitting at the water's edge, telling a story of how men left everything to follow Jesus. Gosh, I love Peter. Not only did Peter know Peter, not only is Peter called by Jesus, Peter drops everything to follow Jesus. I love it. Also, another reason I love Peter is Peter at times doesn't get Jesus. I told somebody earlier this week, I said I was a much better pastor and theologian at 25. Because I knew all of the answers. And now that I turned 40 this year, I'm just not so sure. Of course, I'm more confident in the things that matter and which cannot change. I've just become less confident in some of those peripheral things that we all must seek God's wisdom on. And God's helped me become just a little bit more gracious. I listened to one of my early sermons a few months ago and I was shocked at how harsh it sounded. I was like, goodness, Son, who do you think you are? But then I read about Peter, and at times he doesn't get Jesus. Listen to this one. This is good. Mark chapter 1, and verse 35. Rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed. And this is Jesus, by the way. And he went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next town that I may preach there also. That's why I came out. And he went out through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting demons. demons. I don't know if you've caught it. Jesus is in this quiet place praying. And Peter comes along and says, what are you doing? We've got ministry to do, Jesus. What are you doing? I mean, we can pray later. I can see myself in that. Peter at times doesn't get Jesus. Why are you praying out here in this desert place when there's so much ministry to do? Also, another one, the reason I love Peter is Peter got out of the boat. Oh, man, we know this story. There's a picture hanging on my wall to tell this story of how Peter got on the boat. There is a little beautiful piece of olive wood that I bought from in the holy land uh, of Jesus rescuing Peter out of the waters of Galilee after walking on the water. But one of the things we often get is Peter gets out of the boat. I love this, Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 29. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. Gosh, I love Peter. Notice what he says. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Man, I love that. Someone that says, Lord, I don't know how you're doing it, but you're out there. And wherever you are, I want to be. You tell me to come, and I'm coming. I love Peter. But then he does what I do, and we all do when we get out there. Peter got scared and doubted once he got out of the boat. Matthew chapter 14, verses 30 through 33, just one verse later. <laughs> it says But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him oh you of little faith why did you doubt and then when they got into the boat the wind ceased and listen and then those in the boat worshiped him saying truly you are the son of God Um, I, I highlighted this one go back there Go back to the previous screen for a second now go back okay I need to know this I highlighted that in green but you can't tell I will not do that again all right It looks clearer on my page. That right there, those in the boat worshipped him. I wonder what Peter did. Because the way I read it, it's kind of like everybody worshipped and I could just imagine Peter kind of maybe sitting to the side. Because he kind of just made a fool of himself. And there I see me. Maybe that's why I love Peter so much. Also, at times Peter gets Jesus better than anybody. At times Peter gets Jesus better than anybody. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29. This is when they are at Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus went on and his disciples to the village, with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ man. When you know you say the right thing at the right time and the only reason you've said it is because God has given it to you, there's not a feeling like that in the world. And trust me, I'm a pastor. The most dangerous thing about getting something right is to go... That's right. I didn't get that right. And then the next statement. Not only does Peter at times think, uh, Peter at times get Jesus better than anybody, the next one goes right in hand with it because it's the very next worst verse. Peter at times thinks Jesus needs a little help understanding what is best. And gosh, I've done that. Well, because I understand this, Lord, let me uh, tell you what you need to be doing. Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribe and be killed, and three days later, rise again, and he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and said, Lord, I perceive you need an accountability partner, and I'm here to help you. (laughs) Everyone needs truth spoken in their lives from time to time, and I just uh, thought I could just give you a word, that's that's not from God, what you just said. No, it says, Peter. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And by turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Man, maybe this message is for me. We're going to talk about my sin this week. Maybe we're talking about my sin this week. My goodness. You puff your chest out when you get something right. And then Jesus says, yes, that's right. And then one sentence later, he's saying, get behind me, Satan. For you're not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. Also, another reason I love Peter is Jesus lets Peter see his glory. This is so glorious. The transfiguration, Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 4, and it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. And led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. Jesus let Peter have a glimpse of his glory. It's the stuff that he did with Moses. But then in the very next thing, Peter completely misses the point of Jesus's glory. In Mark chapter nine, verse five, what does the very next verse say? And Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, this is amazing. Let's build a church right here. He said, let's build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Completely missing what that glory was about. Also, another reason I love Peter is Peter is unsure of Jesus's forgiveness model. Peter's walked around and he's heard Jesus talk about forgiveness and varying things. And then in Matthew 18, 21 through 22, Peter asks a reasonable question. And he says to him, Lord, so this forgiveness thing, totally support this message. But how often are we going to need to be doing this? How many times will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Did you know it was Peter that struggled with the idea of forgiveness? Goodness. This is just getting more personal all the time. The next one Jesus prayed for Peter's restoration before his failure. This may be one of the most beautiful aspects of Peter's life. In Luke 22, verses 31 through 32, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith not fail, and that when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. It blesses me that God called and chose a man that knew was going to drop the ball. Also, Jesus not only prayed for Peter's restoration even before his failure, Peter is confident of his commitment to Christ. How many times have we said this? Lord, I'm your man. I'll go with you. I surrender all. I'm yours, Lord. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And also, Maybe the hardest one to read is that Peter denies Jesus sinning, by the way, in the worst way. This is the worst sin you can commit is denying the Lord. It is one inch removed from the unpardonable sin of blasphemy. In Luke 22, 60 through 62, I'll just relead Peter's portion. Let's look at verse 61. It says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I also love Peter because the angel calls Peter by name at the tomb. Uh, because of time, I want you to go ahead and skip down to verse 7 here. This is Mark 16 and verse 7. But when the angel meets Mary Magdalene, he tells her, go tell my disciples and Peter. I love that. Go tell my disciples and Peter. So when Mary Magdalene walked into the upper room and said, the Lord is looking for you all. And Peter, he called you by name. What that must have meant for a man who had denied Jesus. And I also love this. I, don't, I didn't never, I've never caught this until this passage this week studying in Luke chapter 24 10 through 12 peter is the first one to get up and go to the empty tomb we know from another gospel that john went too but he's the first one to go now it was mary magdalene and joanna and mary the mother of james and other women with him who told these things to the apostles but these words seemed like an idle tale and they did not believe him them but peter arose and ran to the tomb Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Another reason I love Peter is because even after all of that disaster, Jesus forgives and restores Peter. In John 21, 15 through 17, I don't have time to read it, but three times Jesus tells Peter to feed his sheep. Three times he restores him, not just forgiving him, but restoring him to be used In ministry. I want to tell you two things here and we'll close. Paul's confrontation in Galatians of Peter reminds us that even after Pentecost, even after the Holy Spirit came in power, Peter was still Peter. There are things that he got so right and there are things that he got so wrong. In fact, after Peter denied Jesus three times here, we have him denying the gospel, making this now the fourth denial of peter but gosh i still love peter you want to know why because don't forget it's peter that christ is building his church upon no not i don't understand this in the papal sense but it's the ministry of peter that was given that the ministry of the apostles would build the church notice in matthew 16 15 through 20 and he said to them but do what i But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I find it so interesting that a man so complicated a man filled with such success and such failure and such, at times, blatant hypocrisy, so much so that Paul confronts him to his face. Jesus says to that man, I'm going to use you to build my church. And maybe that's why I love Peter. And maybe that's why you love him too. Because Peter reminds you of you and he reminds me of me you know it's a shame some of us feel that because of our track record that god cannot use us that maybe there was a time but that time is now past if there's one character in the bible that tells the story that you can not only get it wrong, you can get it wrong in a big way and you can keep getting it wrong. But Peter ran to Jesus each time and God used that to build his church. And I want you to look at me here in this room. Jesus wants to use you. If you belong to Jesus, he's not angry with you. You're his child. He has forgiven you, he's paid for your sins, and he has called you to use you. And it's time to stop sitting on the sideline, thinking that you've been cut from the team. Because Peter's story reminds us that even the best among us you don't get better than Peter. Even the best among us is woefully inadequate and needs Jesus. I hope Peter's life and testimony has encouraged you today. And if this is a moment where you, like Peter, need to run to Jesus, trust me, he can be found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your good gospel. It's the good news unto salvation to everyone who believes. And Lord, believing with our mouth looks like a declaration of faith. Believing with our feet looks like running to an empty tomb and running to Jesus. Lord, encourage every brother and sister of mine here today that no matter where they are in their Christian life, they can run to Jesus and be restored and used. We bless your name in Christ's name.